You are listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Now, here is more to the story. Welcome to the Forefront Church Podcast. With us this week, we have Pastor Darren Enns. How you doing today, Darren? Hey, I'm good. You always start with me. You should start with Drew once. Ah, okay, well, <laughs> Pastor Drew Tarwater, how you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, fellas. It's good to be with you. Pastor Darren Eds, how you doing today? Hey, everybody. I'm doing good. <laughs> All right, good. And I'm Rob Lazzi. Thank you for joining us today. We are digging into the kings today in Israel in the Old Testament. We'll be hanging around in Deuteronomy and talking a little bit about what Drew talked about this last week with uh, Rehoboam. So first off, Rebo. Dr- Rebo is the nickname. You know, he's tight with him. He's got a nickname for him. We're buddies. So so first question for you guys, I'll, I'll throw this one at uh, Darren first, is like, why did they need the kings? Like, what's, what was the, like, Samuel was the pr- last prophet before the kings. What was the instigating event of why they went to kings instead of prophets? Yeah, there's, uh, it, it's it's kind of a tough question, um, and I'm not sure if I can give it full a full answer, full justice, but God kind of knew the trajectory of his people that they would eventually uh, want or or need a king. And uh, so he actually outlines some provisions in Deuteronomy 17 talking about the king. So in Deuteronomy 17, uh, starting in verse 14, he gives some guidelines here. And essentially, he wants to make sure that a king will, um, that a king will only do what he needs to to trust in God. Um, and so things like you're not supposed to take a whole lot of wives, um, don't accumulate gold, um, another big one is that you're not supposed to gain military might, like don't accumulate horses and chariots, which essentially were the tanks of the day. A chariot was a mobile mobile platform for an archer to move them around the battlefield really, really fast. Um, and, and if you had a lot of chariots, that means you had a really powerful army. You didn't just have foot soldiers with swords and spears. So you're not supposed to do that. And also uh, you're supposed to, the king is supposed to have his own scroll of the law, of the Torah, um, which other people didn't have uh, because, of course, we didn't have a printing press or anything like that. It took a long time, uh, a long painstaking time to to get a scroll and copy the scripture. So the, the king was supposed to be a spiritual leader as, as well for the people. Um, and so these are the, the guidelines. So it, like God wanted to be their king. That was kind of the, always the goal. But even when a human king was was to be instituted, they were still supposed to be a servant of God. So... There's, um, yeah, Drew, a pitch in like you know, uh, Samuel warned the people what what the kings were going to do, and it wasn't all good, right? Yeah, and I think you look around, at, especially when Samuel is really the last judge, and you can see that the people are looking around at the nations around them, like we want a king who can lead us into battle, and you know, we want a king who can help make us make us politically strong, and they, they were missing that God was wanting to be their king. And that God was trying to set them apart as this holy nation. They they wanted military might, 
And, and so they, they come to Solomon and plus, or Samuel, they come to Samuel and plus Samuel's, if you guys remember a few podcasts ago, we talked about how Samuel's sons were really not doing their part as, as being priests and judges. And so the people said, Samuel, you're getting old, give us a King. And, you know, Samuel really took that hard. He thought it was almost like a shot against him, but he points back to what God had said in Deuteronomy 17. You know, and, and he warned them, you know, well, you guys want a king. Well, here's what the kings do. Kings take your sons and make them soldiers. Kings take your wives and they work in the in the palace. Kings take your land and build their own vineyards and have their own horse, you know, take your horses and make them their own and all that stuff. And the people just didn't listen. They said, we want a king. And we see it starts this 120-year trajectory of really four kings who if you look at their lives, you know, Saul, David, Solomon, and Rehoboam, before the, the, the kingdom divides, there's a lot of kings of Judah after that, but four before the kingdom splits. Each of those guys, especially, I mean, David and Solomon did a lot of really good things, but yet they fell into the trap exactly what God warned them would happen and didn't live out Deuteronomy 17 of God's prescription for what the king should be. No, it's interesting to think about when, like, they... They, got, they heard the warning, and they still said, okay, yeah, let's go. And so it's always interesting like in our own lives. We're like, yeah, we hear the warnings like you were talking about on Sunday. Who do you take advice from, Drew? And right. they got the advice, and they're like, no, that's not what we want to hear. We're going to keep moving forward with what we want. And here, here's the threat. Here, here, here's my soapbox. When we, as people, start to think that politics are going to solve our problems, then we fall into the same thing they fell into, you know, 3000 years ago. Right. Uh, especially, you know, I think, I think too, you, you look and you say, well, why, you know, why can't politics be the issue? And we, you know, we see all the time, you can't legislate the heart and you need Jesus to give you a new heart, but you think about it, you can take a good person with good motives, but all of a sudden you give them power and they're going to be tempted. They could be the, the most, um, balanced person you've ever meet, you've ever met, but you give them enough money and enough power and enough military might and it can be easy to let their heart run with that. And I think that's what we see when we look at David. I mean, Saul, you know, when we meet Saul, he's a good dude, right? And then Saul gets some power and all of a sudden he's living for himself. You meet David, he's, David's a man after God's own heart, yet you give him enough power and enough other things. Same with Solomon. You know, he married and so many women, his heart got stolen away. And so you can take good people, but... Even good people living in a broken world where sin has ruined everything, when they get enough power behind them, they're still going to do what's best for them and not what's best for the people. And I think that's the that's just the ugly truth of politics that we need to always watch out for. Jesus is our savior, not our president or our political leaders. It's interesting to think about the kings. We're going to cover uh, four of them, Saul, David, Solomon, Rehoboam, and we'll go over like you know, how they start off, how they finish. So when we're thinking about the 10,000 foot view here of these Kings with uh, King Saul, like what was, what, did, what are the good things he did drew and where were some of the, and what was his downfall? Yeah. With Saul, you know, he was, um, I, I think Saul early on wanted to, to be a good King and he, and he seemed to have a humble heart, but immediately I think where Saul's issue was and is he did not, he did not trust God and wait for God to give him direction. And so when you look at Deuteronomy 17, one of the things Deuteronomy 17 says about a king is to be a man of God, as Darren said earlier, to, uh, to, to 
be someone who follows the word of God, who, who's always holding tight to the word of God and following God's commands. And early on in Saul's campaign in 1 Samuel 13, he's told to wait for Samuel before offering sacrifices before a battle with the Philistines. And he gets impatient and he immediately goes and he offers a sacrifice himself. I mean, he wasn't a priest. He was just the king. He was leading them in the battle. And so the first thing he does is he bulldozes ahead and basically says, you know, God, I'm going to do it my way. And then just two chapters later, in 1 Samuel 15, God tells Saul to go fight the Amalekites. But he says, I want you just to, to wipe them out. Wipe out all their warriors and destroy all their stuff. Just get them out of here because they were terrible pagan people and who worshiped these horrible fake gods. And so what Saul does is Saul um, keeps all the sheep and oxen, you know, because he wants to make a sacrifice to God. Well, I mean, one of the things God says was don't try to accumulate all kinds of wealth. And so, again, he he goes against what God says the king should do in Deuteronomy 17. So I think Saul won some good battles. Saul um, had some military might. He, he may have been the king the people wanted from a military perspective. But right there, boom, he already knocked out two of the five things God commands a king to do by not listening to what God had to say. So King Saul was from tribe of Benjamin, right? Yep. Yeah. So um, it's interesting just in context of the whole story. Uh, at the end of Judges, we get a civil war between 11 tribes of Israel uh, against the tribe of Benjamin because of a, of a horrific act that actually the tribe of Benjamin didn't commit. If you read the end of Judges, um, I think it's like 17 through 21 or 19 through 21. Um, someone does a, a horrific act that actually causes people um, to, to fight against Benjamin. So there's the civil war already between the tribes. Um, and we're just in a tribal confederacy. After this, then, um, the tribe of Benjamin is almost eradicated. Uh, and this, then, is the context of uh, what we get to in Samuel. So Samuel becomes uh, the last judge before the kings. And um, we get Saul from the tribe of Benjamin, which is just kind of unique. Um, it was almost a tribe that was wiped out. And uh, Saul... As the king, he was supposed to, or he was trying to unite all 12 tribes so they'd be one nation, but he never really had it. He, he didn't do a great job at it. Uh, that only happened with David, where he was able to unite all of the tribes of Israel. So if, if we can move, a, uh, move ahead to David, um, we can talk about a couple things, um, especially the whole story with David and Bathsheba uh, is really interesting and unique. And um, as Rob said before, as we were discussing of what we were going to talk about. It's like, watch out, This uh, what you've heard in Sunday school is true, and yet there's more. There's something deeper to it. Dar Darren has a way of ruining the stories <laughs> I, I learned growing up in Sunday school. It's, I don't want to ruin it for you. I just want to expand <laughs> upon it for you. But um, so anyway, yeah. So first of all, I'm going to say, yes, it was not a good thing, not God's will that David would commit adultery, um, and also that he would not murder Uriah. But here is something deeper. Um, at the end of that story... In um, 2 Samuel 11, am I right on that? Yep. Yeah, 2 Samuel 11. Um, at the very end of that chapter, um, there's this phrase. It says, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Um, and it's, it's a singular thing, like the, the, the thing, the matter that David had done. Um, it's not a plural thing. And, and so it's like, well, he committed adultery and he murdered someone. That's two things. So what is the thing? 
and I posed this question to, to my Bible study, and then we kind of talked about this different view. Um, another view of, of what David had done was a power grab. So imagine you're David at this time. You have united all 12 tribes of Israel. You've established Jerusalem as the city of David. Uh, you moved the, the Ark of the Covenant to the city. So it's the, the community center. It's the spiritual center. It's the, it's the uh, political center. Jerusalem is the place David has united all the tribes. So he has tons and tons of power. And he wants more. And he goes about it in a really, really bad way. And so what... If you're an ancient Near East person and you want to get power and steal it away from your dad, what you're going to do, and and it really seems weird in our uh, modern eyes, but you would have relations with your father's wife. Uh, And this happens several times in the Bible. It even happens to David himself. His sons um, try to usurp his own power by sleeping with his concubines. And uh, we also see it with Ham in uh, Genesis 9. We looked at that a long time ago. and where Ham slept with his father's wife. And it's taking the authority away from your father by doing that. And so uh, Uriah could have been a political rival. He was one of David's big fighting men. He had a lot of respect among the military. Um, And then, uh, so in order to make sure that there would be no political rivals, David took Uriah's power away from him by taking his wife. And then, of course, by having him, him killed. And so it's this, it's a power grab type of thing where, um, yes, again, it, it's not right to commit adultery, it's not right to murder, but that kind of puts it in a, in a different light because that, that reason of David violently taking power from a political rival, the sword would never depart from his house, it says that in scripture, and, and, and that kind of thing really taints David's rule over Israel from then on. No, that's interesting to think about because like in the Sunday school story, it sounds like it was more like a, he saw her and then, you know, had an affair. Yeah, like the whole idle hands thing. I, there definitely yeah. is that element in the story. But if, if you continue to look at the whole story together, there's this, this power grab idea. Like it, the scripture doesn't necessarily say that it was bad for David to stay home. Like I think there's still something there. Um, because mm-hmm. at the end of chapter 12, you know, David finally goes out to battle, but who won the battle for him? It was Joab. It was his general. David didn't win. He just rode in once everything was was done and just pressed the button to set the bomb off. Like, he, he was the one who killed the king of, of the Ammonites. Um, so there's certainly something there. Like, David has the power, and he just receives the glory at the end, even though Joab was the one who really did all the hard work. Um, so I think there's something there. But yeah, there, there's a deeper level behind that. When I think too, when you look at these at, at these stories in the Old Testament, you know it, it's you you can have both, right? It's like as we said earlier, it just gets deeper, you know. And so with David and Bathsheba, I do think you have this, you know, as we I think that the, the story we we grew up hearing. I think while that's true, there can be other things at play as well as well. And so David, you know, he sees Bathsheba, she gets pregnant, he brings Uriah home. Uriah won't go. And sleep with her because he wants to be out in battle. And so at that point, you know, maybe it's then that David says, okay, well, I got to do something uh, to cover up my sin. And also, you know, there's a second motive here. I can, I can power up by killing Uriah and now become more politically strong and those kind of things. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, often there's multiple motives that, that pull behind. And I think with David, you look at where his failure was, 
you look at his life and you say, well, he did a lot of good things. He united the kingdom, as Darren said. God says multiple times that, there was, that David was a man after his own heart. Uh, David was a great political leader, and um, you know they they were able to conquer many of their you know their their enemies at that time. But in Deuteronomy 17, it says, "Don't have a bunch of wives. Don't take multiple wives for yourself." And David had eight wives, and so you know David David's failure in in, in multiple ways. Failure to lead his family is a huge one, uh, but he also went against what God had said about not having multiple wives. And so both Saul and David. Um, went against the commands of God in Deuteronomy 17, and we saw they both really suffered some consequences because of it. So Uriah here, uh, potentially, is a better king than David, as you're talking about, Drew. Like, David's supposed to know the law from Deuteronomy (laughs) 17, but Uriah seems to know the law a bit better, because that's actually um, against the guidelines and the duty of a soldier to go home and have relations with your wife while your army's off out of battle. Uh, There's a couple of verses about that from Deuteronomy 23.9, 1 Samuel 21, 4 and 5. Um, where you're not supposed to sleep with your wife. And so Uriah is following the law better than David does at <laughs> yeah, this right. moment. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. even in, in a drunken state and being tempted to to go with his wife when David sends him home with, with, with a gift, does the text say? It's kind of ambiguous. Like, yeah, right. It's yeah, a bottle of wine kind of, and some chocolates. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chocolate hearts. So in that, yeah. So yeah. in that story, does David realize like halfway through he made a mistake and is trying to find a way to fix it in his own way when he's doing the power grab? Is that yeah, could be? He's, just, like, he's digging his hole. The hole that he's digging of his sin goes deeper and deeper. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's trying I, to fix I, it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine that happening. Right, ever. right. <laughs> <laughs> so, but so here's a question going back to Saul and David on the bigger picture with the, with Jesus coming through the line of David, would Jesus, I mean, this is a more of a hypothetical question. Would Uh-oh. Jesus have come through the line of Saul if Saul would have followed God? And then kind of goes back to the whole free will thing, or did God foresee all this happening? You know, if Saul would have been obedient to God, would Jesus come through his line? So I don't think so. I think the plan was for David the whole time. And so I think when when God knew that Israel was going to want a king and he gave the provision in Deuteronomy 17, that David was Saul, was God's guy. And, and God knew David was going to was going to do this. God knew Solomon was going to do this. God knew Rehoboam was going to do this. But God knew that this was the line that he wanted to bring it through. And, and God had that mapped out. And uh, and so I think when the people wanted a king, they, God is saying, look, it's not time yet. But he went ahead and gave him Saul, who failed. Um, but, you know, I, I like to believe that I think God had planned for David to be his guy and that to be the line the entire time. I don't know. I, I might I might push back against that a little bit. Uh, I it, It's hard for me to um, it's hard for me to think like God's I don't know in certain terms. And this probably isn't right at all, but I, I just go here in my mind. Like, is God tricking his people? Is God giving them a false hope in Saul? Um, that, that one's hard for me to, to, I, I understand that God knew David was his man, but at the same time, it's like, had Saul been able to fulfill things, I I think God might've rewarded him. Uh, and there's always this tension right in the Bible where God desires our obedience and yet he's faithful to the things that he promises in, in some way or form. And so like, and we see that after David, like David was God's man, he was obedient, and so God made these these promises with him. And then, even though his sons messed it up, God still had to be faithful to His own promise. So, right, th- there's some tension there. You it's know, true that, that I'm okay with, but yeah, 
And we don't have a verse that supports it. Um, but, you know, I like, we like to speculate a little bit on this podcast. <laughs> and for speculating, I'll disagree. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. And so then we go into Solomon uh, and David's son, Solomon, you know, traditionally the wisest person in the world, wrote the book of Proverbs, as you said yesterday, Drew. So what were the, like, what was the, benefits of uh, Solomon and what was the downfall? I mean, Solomon was a great political leader. Solomon was the wisest man to ever live besides Jesus. Solomon turned a, a nation the size of Illinois into a world power. Uh, but I think Solomon's downfall were that he married 700 women. He had 300 concubines and Deuteronomy 17, just like his dad says, don't have a bunch of wives, but it also says don't accumulate, accumulate lots of gold and silver. And we see that Solomon, we, we see a lot about all the gold and all the silver and all the wealth that Solomon had had. Yeah, just before be, the passage, Drew, you read, there was like, he made how many shields just of solid gold? Right. Like, yeah. why do you need, the gold is malleable. Gold shields are not going to work in battle. Why are you doing this? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make it's any just, sense. Yeah, it's like you walk into somebody's house and they just have, you know, all kinds of expensive paintings on the wall. It's like, do you need that many paintings, right? It's like, Solomon, do you need that many shields or this many? He had so many chariots. He had so many horses. He had all these things. And so he really kind of defied Deuteronomy 17 because of all the wealth and the wives. And we see what happened was it stole his heart away from God. And he ended up worshiping false idols at the end of his life to make his other wives happy. And so I think that's where he went wrong. The, I think for me, the biggest difference as we look at, at the scripture between David and Solomon is that David, as we say, a man after God's own heart, David never worshipped foreign gods. Yep. Even though he had, he had multiple wives, those wives never led him to, to worship a Canaanite oh, god. But mm-hmm. Solomon, through all his political alliances, at some point he had to honor those political alliances by, by sacrificing to foreign gods and worshipping foreign gods. And that ultimately is the downfall. So yes, mm-hmm. they had moral failures. Yes, Solomon had a lot of riches and stuff. But the key is that they did not worship God alone, which was the one thing, right? Oh, the yeah. first commandment, the second commandment, all those things. You're supposed to, to worship God, Yahweh, alone. And, and right. Solomon didn't do that. And that, that's why Solomon had the downfall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's interesting to think about. Like I I know a number of uh, Christian friends who have done quite well in business. And when you talk about like having faith in God, it's like, it's almost one of those double-edged swords is when they have a ton of resources. They're, you know, they, not that we don't do bad here in, you know, the America just is like in middle class, but like, I know guys that, you know, money's not an issue for anything, whether it's medical they need or whatever. And so sort of the same thing with Solomon is like when they have that type of wealth, it's really hard to have your heart. Cause I've asked these guys like, well, how tough is it to follow Christ? When you know if there's an issue that comes up, you can solve anything you really need to solve if you're willing to throw the money at it. Yeah. I was, and so they're like, it's tough. Yeah. I, I was talking with a, a good buddy of mine uh, a couple weekends ago, and he's finally gotten to the to spot now. I think he's almost 30. Um, he's a, a financial advisor where he he always early on in his career had struggled for money. Like, yeah, they got a house that they've, they've got a kid recently, very similar to us, um, my wife and I, but um, he's... He he recognized all of a sudden now his his, his he's got a good group of, of people he advises for he's got good income and money is no longer an issue, and he's recognized like you know what I I feel like I'm not relying on God for my material needs anymore, mm. and and it's really he said it's just interesting all of a sudden recognizing like God has blessed me with this with my family with a home with with good job and good income. 
And yet there's something that has made me less dependent on him. And so it's been a struggle for him to truly experience God's goodness as this has become normal. And maybe that's one thing, like when, when God says it is easier for, um, <clears throat> it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I, I feel like there's something w- with that when when you aren't constantly relying on God for material needs and you have a bunch of riches, sometimes it's hard to experience God's goodness and grace because you can attribute everything you've done to your own pulling up of bootstraps, right? So I, people who are poor, I see it. Um, I, in, in college, I, I went and led worship at a, at a homeless shelter and I had, I mean, I had grown men crying on my chest who were like 40 years old. Like this is, this is, different this is unique like these men are reliant on god for every single thing in their life and they're so happy for what they do have um and contrast that with myself now who i mean i i don't own a house but i live in in a nice place uh and yeah it's just very different when you have all that money about where your mind goes yeah and i think you see that in rehoboam when rehoboam becomes king right so imagine rehoboam he grew up living under solomon Solomon was so rich, had so much. So Rehoboam would have lived his whole life with just everything at his fingertips. You know, imagine Bill Gates' son, you know? I mean, that's what, that's what Rehoboam would have, would have been. So Rehoboam gets made king, at a, and, and as the story we talked about Sunday, at his inauguration, um, Jeroboam comes back and, and gets the people of Israel to say, hey, Rehoboam, will you lighten your father's load on us? And one thing we didn't talk about yesterday in the sermon was, wasn't just that Solomon was heavy handed when it comes to taxes. Solomon is also heavy handed when it comes to workforce and slavery and people building his, his houses and his wineries and all of these things. And so they say, Rehoboam, will you lighten the load your father had on us? And Rehoboam goes and gets some bad advice. Um, he wants to, to make it even harder. And so Rehoboam tells the people, no, I'm going to, I'm going to make it even harder on you. And so where was his folly? Well, he wanted to accumulate lots, but he, he never went, we never see in the, in the, in the word that he actually went to God and asked God what he wanted. And we also see that he had an arrogance among his brothers, which was one of the things that Deuteronomy 17 says, don't be arrogant against your people. And so I think Rehoboam's folly was that he wasn't in the word. He wasn't a man of God. His heart was definitely lifted above everybody else. He, he was arrogant and prideful, and he also wanted to accumulate lots of gold and silver for himself, like his dad had. And so that was his downfall, and it ended up to the kingdom completely dividing. No, it's crazy to think about. It. It's sort of the idea of like, hey, I'm trying to be better than what my dad did. Like when, and you sort of read into it and look back on it, and... Darren, you mentioned this uh, in our prep talk, but like the telescoping prophecy of going through the kings and mm-hmm. all that, where it's like, dig into that for me a little bit more, like as you described it. I don't want to take yeah. it out of your... Take... Yeah, um, w- when we look at, at some of these things, especially when God speak through, speaks through a prophet, um, and it's, it's called, or what, a name for it is telescoping prophecies, where if you're, real up, if you're up close to it um, and zooming in really, really close, you can see one thing, but as you get further away you can see a different thing and a slightly different perspective. And both of them are true. It just depends on where you're coming from. And so one of these, it, 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 we're going kind of back to David here, but uh, when when God sent Nathan the prophet to uh, tell David that God was going to build his house and, and he would someone from his line would continuously reign, 
there's kind of of a, of a dual meaning here in Second Samuel seven twelve through sixteen. Um, if you are an Israelite and you're in the moment and you're hearing this prophecy uh, from the prophet Nathan, you can see what this means for you in that context and your immediate future. It's like in the mountains when you're right up next to to the like Dinosaur Ridge, all you see is Dinosaur Ridge. You don't know what the mountain range looks like behind it. And that's the same thing for, for this Israelite here. So when it says, when your days are over and you rest your, with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Well, that's easy. Okay, so David's son is going to rule and it will continue. And then it says, he is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Okay, uh, that means that Solomon, David's son, is going to build the temple. That That's really easy to see. I will be his father, he will be my son cool. Like God is going to take ownership uh, of, of the son of David too. When he does wrong, I'll punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. Um, yeah, Solomon messed up and he got punished for it, um, obviously, and, and the, the line of David did that. Um, but if, if we go back and we, we go back to, you know, I don't know, 30 to buyers, where you're an hour out of Denver and you can see a lot more of the mountain range. Um, that you're going to see some different things. And we, standing now at our context, can look back and see this as a prophecy of Jesus. So when it says, your days are over and I will raise up uh, your offspring, well, Jesus was from the line of David. We get this in the genealogies of, of Luke and Matthew. Um, he is the one who will build a house for my name. Well, Jesus established the church. That's God's house. We are, are the, the dwelling place of God. Uh, he will be my father. He will be my son. Jesus is God's son. Uh, when he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. Um, that's an interesting one, but was not Jesus uh, flogged for our wrongs, for our wrongdoings? And so, yeah, as we back up, we see all kinds of different things. So what if we back up and go up in a space shuttle and we see the entire mountain range? What's it going to be like at the end uh, end of times, like how is this going to apply to Revelation when Jesus, you know, comes back to fully establish the kingdom? There, there's a lot of uh, different things that we can see as we back up. Why, why are all the stories about the failure of the king anyway? Like, what are we? It's like it seems like if history, like history, is written by the victors. There's kind of a lot of uh, <laughs> we they didn't do a very good lot, job, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's like who's the editor? The editor probably we didn't hear much about him for some reason, right. I guess. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons we can trust the Bible as the word of God. You know, there, there's just, the Bible is full of the story of mess ups. And, and yeah, there's some victory stories and there's some victory laps taken, but it's a story of God's people just messing up over and over again and God coming in and redeeming them. And, and it shows that God's the hero. So I think that's one reason we can look back and say, well, I think the, the Bible is trustworthy. You know, the Bible was written, if it was inspired, if this was written by men, the three of us would tell about the stories about how good we are, right? Not about how bad we are and how good God is. Uh, but also, I think the failure of the kings point us to the fact that God has, and God sprinkles it through all the prophets in the Old Testament, that a better king is coming, and that is King Jesus. And he's the king of the kingdom that we were meant to live in. And so we can trust him and see that he is the one who came and made all things right. So I think, yeah, we can trust the word of God, but it's meant to show us that Jesus is coming and we can trust him with our lives. I don't know who, like Samuel wrote, obviously through 2 Samuel, I don't know who wrote Kings, like 
But can you imagine like David being there, like, come on, Samuel, can you put more David and Goliath in there and less Bathsheba? Come on, put right. Can you, can we? Well, so exactly. Samuel didn't write all of First and Samuel, Second Samuel, because he died in the middle of First Samuel. So it, 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 yeah, it gets complicated about our authorship of those books. But someone wrote them, someone compiled it and put it together. Um, yeah, and, I can only imagine them going like less, less Bathsheba, <laughs> more, more Goliath, more Goliath. Let's go. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting, as Drew mentioned in the sermon, Chronicles is written. Uh, taking all the material from Samuel and Kings and putting it in a different light, kind of reinterpreting it for a new people, for people returning from exile after Babylon. After Babylon, and it, it's all about like, okay, are we going to ever be an independent nation again? Like, what is God doing with us? God made this promise, and God is faithful. And so, what what does this mean? Well, the this is when the prophets started talking about like someone's coming, a new king is coming, and he's going to establish Israel forever. And I think we talked about this before, where the Jewish Bible ends with Second Chronicles, which ends in a promise for the temple to be rebuilt, for God's presence to come back, and there be a political, local nation of Israel again. Um, whereas the Protestant Bible ends in Malachi, which is talking about essentially another Elijah coming, who's going to prophesy about the next king. And that's um, we, and then we turn the page to Matthew, and we see John the Baptist, and and, mm-hmm. and there's a direct link between that. So uh, in our Protestant Bible, we don't see the physical location of Israel being restored with the new temple because we understand that that was Jesus and it wasn't a physical temple necessarily, but it was a spiritual, a spiritual renewal where God gives us new hearts and renews our minds and all those kinds of things. And so that's what the prophet started to say. And some of them, when Jesus showed up, realized that this was the guy. Other people who were stuck in old ways um, had their eyes, you know, clouded over and they didn't really see what was going on. And I think that's why Jesus says, hey, do you have ears? Then I hope you hear what I'm saying. Do you have eyes? I hope you see what I'm doing, because that's not what all of you expected. Mm-hmm. No, it's so it's so cool. And yeah, you know, it is interesting. You can read the same stories in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. And, you know, originally First Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings and Second Kings were one book. And, you know, some some speculate that Jeremiah wrote some big chunks of it. Some speculate that Ezra wrote, you know, first and second Chronicles. We don't know for sure, but you're right. I love how you put that, Darren. It's pointing us forward to Jesus and Jesus came and fulfilled it all. And as Christians living in 2022, we can look back through the lens of Jesus and see the Old Testament was all written about him. But imagine living in that 400 year period after they came back from exile, just waiting on this king. And you're looking forward, trusting what God is going to do. So in so many ways, we are so blessed to be able to look back and see that Jesus came and did it all for us. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that we call that period the 400 years of silence. Like it's silent in the terms that we don't really get any scripture that was written. And yet it was anything but silent. Like there was tons of people writing stuff about how are we following the law in this new place? Um, There were three different governments who came in and ruled over over Israel during that time. Um, Re- they, revolts, rebellion, yeah. <laughs> it's Political crazy. intrigue. There's a ton of stuff that happened in the 400 it, years of silence. Yeah. Is it, isn't that the Maccabean revolt? Is that uh-huh. one of them that was in there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Celebration of Hanukkah is from from this period, yeah. Wow. Yep. No, interesting to think about that. So we've, we're finishing up Kings on Sunday mornings, Drew. What's uh, What are we looking forward to next? So we got two Sundays left in the uh, Old Kingdom series. And so we're going to look at next week how the nation of Israel of Judah, it gets exiled by Babylon. And then 
on Labor Day weekend, we're going to talk about how uh, Ezra and Nehemiah help uh, bring back the remnant of God's people as they return to Israel, which sets us up to move into the New Testament. Can you believe it, fellas? We are just about finished with our Old Testament time, and we'll move into the New Testament time, and um, we'll have uh, we'll start the weekend after Labor Day with John the Baptist. It's going to be really fun to talk about the life of Jesus throughout Christmas. Oh, very cool. Excited. Darren, any parting thoughts here? Anything we missed? Anything you got to clarify that I screwed up or Darren or <laughs> screwed up? Uh, nothing pressing. <laughs> Okay, perfect. Drew, any parting thoughts here before we wrap this up? The kings that became the kings of Israel were just men like us who made lots of mistakes, and we need Jesus, fellas, to keep us straight. And we, we talked about having uh, a fantasy draft. That was kind of oh, yeah. like, who, what king would he take first? <laughs> With the first pick, yeah, I'm man. taking King David. And then I'd probably take King Solomon, and Darren would get? I, I, I'd, take, I'd take Jesus. Sleeper pick. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. Why didn't we look down the draft board? Right. Sorry for everybody out there who's Um, not a sports fan and doesn't get this. Yeah, no. I looked at the Mel Kuyper board all wrong. (laughs) Come on, Todd McShay. Right. So, well, we thank you guys for listening. If if you have questions, thoughts, whether it's what we're talking about or if you have questions or thoughts on Jesus, our prayer and hope is that it brings you closer to Jesus, whether it's your first uh, interaction with uh, our Lord and Savior is Jesus, or if you want to, you know, where you know, you want to come to know him or build your relationship with them, help, let us know. We'd love to help you out any way we can. Reach out to us at life at forefrontchurch.tv. Or if you're there on Sunday mornings and you got a question, feel free to put a question in the box in the back of the sanctuary when you're there. So we appreciate you listening. Pastor Drew Tartwater, thank you for the time. Thanks, fellas. Good to be with you. Pastor Darren Enns, thank you so much. My pleasure. And I'm Rob Blasey signing off. Thank you guys for listening. You have been listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of More to the Story.